Okay, so um, I first want to say that um, uh, we want to have a for the schut of Rafur Schleimer, Schleimer for Yaakov ben Valenta, no, Yaakov ben Violeta Venezia. This is the father of a friend of my daughter's who's in Tipul Nebrats. Okay, so we're up to Parakhtet Vav. So this is a very, very... Sorry, but what is Tipul Nebrats? Uh, I see you. I don't know anymore, but she said, please, down for him. Okay. Okay, so we're up to Tetzvav. Now, Tetzvav is the story of the Amalek, and um, it is the Haftorah for Pasha Zahar. And um, it's sort of, we kind of have to, I think, look at the backstory. It, I mean, this is the backstory. We have to go back to the the battle of Amalek and, and understand what's going on here. So um, I'm gonna screen share. Hi, Neely. Hi, Al. Hi. Okay. Hello, Rebecca and Sharon. Hi. I think we can, I'm going to have to look at the calendar and see like the Chagim, like, you know, if we can continue a regular schedule or not. So that's just some, something you're going to have to think about. But here's the screen share. So, so I always look at this first. Mm -hmm. No, not that one. Where did it go? I actually think that I, I will stay closed that. Oh dear. How do you like that? I closed what we were looking at. All right, we'll go here. Character Vav is longish, not as long as your Dalit. Your Dalit is extremely long. And it basically, we'll look at this, at this edition since I seem to have closed the one I wanted. My mistake, I must have hit the X. So we basically have the command, right? Which is the first cup of sukkim that Hashem says to Shaul through Shmuel. And then we have the battle with Shaul, uh, with Amalek, Shaul and Amalek. And that's gonna be Kilpasik Tet. Not so good on this on this particular edition. And after the aftermath, starting from Pasuk Yud, is sort of Hashem lowers the boom and tells uh, Shmuel that he's very angry at Shaul and his kingship is over. And then there is this dialogue between Shmuel and Shaul, which is quite disturbing. And at the end, um, Shmuel kills the king, Agad, and, um, and leaves. So that's basically the story. <clears throat> it's really a long narrative. We'll start with Pasuk Aleph. Pasuk Aleph. Vayom Shmuel al-Sha'ul. Oti shalach Hashem l'meshachach al-melech al-amor al-Yisrael v'ata shma l'k'ol d'vrei Hashem. And Shmuel says to Shaul, 
Hashem has sent me to anoint you for as a king on his nation on Israel. And now listen to the voice of the words of Hashem. First thing you notice is the what they call in Hebrew Mila Mancha. We have words that are thematic words that get repeated again and again. And um, here we see Shema, listen, and call, listen and voice. The whole theme of chapter 15 is listen to the voice of God. Listen and hear. Okay. The question we have is why, why is there this preface? Before Shmuel tells Shaul that this is this is a direct command from a Kaddish Baruch, not like some of the things that um, Shmuel has said to him, you know, interactions that they've had. This is a direct command. Hashem tells Shmuel, and Shmuel tells Shaul what Hashem said. And he gives this preface, right? I, God sent me to anoint you, and now you have to listen. So Rashi says, in chapter 13, Shaul messed up. He didn't wait for, Shaul, uh, for Shmuel to do the sacrifice before the war at Mechmas. And so he, uh, Shmuel was saying to him, you got to listen now. This is really, really critical time and you must listen. That's Rashi's take. But Radak says, Radak is not in this issue over here. Or we'll leave it because we have some, we need some time to get through this. Radak says the king has two commands. The, the Rambam delineates three commands for Jewish people when they come to the land of Israel. Number one is to make a king. So that they've done. Number two is to destroy Amalek. That's the next command. And number three is to build a Samikdash. That's going to be a couple of generations ahead. So Radak sees this connection is God uh, God sent me to anoint you and now as the anointed king you must destroy Amalek you must listen to this it's an interesting take on it but um my husband says it's just telling him I I don't want to anoint you as king I did not want to do that I was very much against the whole idea but I did it because God told me to do it and now you have to listen to what God tells you and I actually like that. That was my husband's thought. Classic bet. And here comes the command. I am now remembering. I'm taking note of and dealing with what Amalek did to the Jews. That seems to mean to put, they ambushed them. They put for them an, an ambush when they came out of Egypt. I'll finish Gimel and then we'll go uh, into the history here. Pastor Gimel. Atta. Now. You will go and you will strike Amalek. You will destroy everything that is theirs. You shall not have mercy on them. You shall not have pity. You must kill every man, every woman, every child, every animal, all of them. Now, let's go backwards and understand what Hashem is uh, discussing here. 
Okay. So I opened up all these um, sources so you should see. Right. The first is in Shmot, in Parshas B'Shalach, when the actual war happens, right? The people are thirsty and they come complain to Moshe and Moshe hits the rock. And then, um, right after that, Amalek comes. And Rashi says, because you, you started up, you said, is Hashem with us? And Hashem says, oh, you don't even see me? Well, I'm just going to set the dog on you. Mashal to a man who's got his kid on his shoulders. He's carrying his kid. And the kid says, I don't see my father. And the father gets so annoyed, he throws him down. And he says, and a dog bites him. <laughs> so this is like, Hashem is like annoyed with the Jewish people here. And Amalek comes. And Moshe tells Yeshua, Take people, we'll fight them. The whole war happens here. And Yeshua does that. And Moshe raises his hands, you know the story. And they hold Moshe's hands, Aaron and Hur. And while Moshe's hands are lifted up in supplication, so the Jews are have the upper hand, right? And it's not the hands of Moshe, it's because the Jewish people and Moshe Rabbeinu adopted him to God. And here we have this Pasuk. Moshe, after the victory, right, Hashem says to Moshe, write this down. I'm going to blot out the memory of Amalek. And Moshe makes a Mizbeah, and he's, Hashem says, my seat will never be complete. I will have a war with Amalek forever. Now, if we take a look at the, the commandment to remember Amalek, that's in Parshat Zohar, at the end of Kitetze, Devarim, just two weeks ago. Now, God tells us, remember what they did. And it's important to understand when dealing with this whole story, which is kind of, you know, one of the things that I, I think of as the elephant in the room. To tell someone, right, wipe out a whole nation. Man, women, and children, animals, everything. That's very, very harsh. And, you know, in, in today's world, we're like, what? How could that be? And what, what is God doing here? But here's the command. And if we understand who Amalek is, the command becomes a little bit easier to understand, although it's still difficult for our um, 2023 uh, sensibilities. But it says, what did they do, right? Asher kar chabaderach. They came upon you on the way. There's a whole discussion here in the Farshim. What are the things here that are specifically problematic? Okay, number one, it's just, they just uh, came after you. There wasn't any specific reason. The Malbim, back in the in Shmuel, the model lists the whole reasons of why someone might go to war. You might want to gain territory. You might want to frighten your enemy. You might want to uh, clarify the borders. You might want to uh, uh, plunder. You want to show how, how powerful you are. You might have a feud. It might be a religious war. We never heard of religious wars in our part of the world. Yeah. Okay, but anyway. There's many reasons I go to war. Amalek had no reason. Their only reason was to defy God. 
And there's wanton cruelty here. This part that says, they cut off the, the tails, so to speak, of all the weak people who were straggling in the back. So, okay, so there's a lot of midrash on this. So if we'll go for the very straight meaning, we'll just say they attack the weak. They attack the helpless. They take the stragglers. So today, you know, a lot of, you know, there's a lot of theories, like, you know, the Nazis were Amalek, you know, the, the Palestinian terrorists are Amalek. There's many, many theories. Nobody really knows today who is Amalek. Today, Amalek is more of a concept, you know, and, you know, the, there's a famous Supreme Court uh, ruling about pornography. You know, how do you define pornography? I don't know, but I know it when I see it. That's Amalek. You know it when you see it. The person who tortures animals, the person who hurts children, the person who takes a, a man. The, some of the some of the terrorist attacks that we suffered in Israel are like it, it's such a Amalek thing. You know the the horrors that we we've seen. You know the the children that were smashed on the rocks, literally, just like in the you know to hill on one thirty seven. They took babies, and that guy, they freed him. I don't want to think about it, but you have this whole picture of this man in a wheelchair that they threw overboard uh, uh you know all of these this wanton cruelty this you know attacking the weak that's the hallmark of a mullet so what a coach broker was doing here is saying i have a war against this evil this cruelty this concept that war is forever you have to remember that we fight evil that's what we do we don't allow evil to flourish. And in, in order to fight evil, you have to know it. You have to see it. You have to recognize it. And you can't whitewash it. And that's the problem that we have today. So we see here at the end of this, where Rashi's talking about how they cooled the kar karfa. Rashi says they cooled off the hot water. The hot water was like, the Jews came out of Egypt with this strength and the power and the Spirit was with them. And no one would have dared to challenge Jewish people at that point if it wasn't for Amalek. Amalek comes along and, you know, they throw themselves into the boiling water. They made it cold. So now the people, you know, for them, they jumped into the heat. But people come afterwards see that it's like lukewarm. They change the temperature. So it's a, it's a, it's a lot of drash here, but to get through the whole idea, right? Ayefiyageya People are tired, and that's when you attack them. You attack them on the Yom Kippur, on the holiest day of the year, when they're all in shul. This is a hallmark of this kind of cruelty and this kind of surprise and evil attack, right? The lawyer Elohim, they don't fear God. And here, Amalek, right? They did not fear God to keep from wronging you. So the end of Parshas Zahar, it says, when you are finished with your conquest and you're in the land comfortably, then you have to wipe out the memory of Amalek. Don't forget to do that. Now, this is the commandment. Why now? Why, why is Hashem telling Shaul now? Because Shaul, we now have a king, and that's the next thing. When you are uh, you've settled in the land and you've been here for like, you know, good 400 years. It's time now to take care of this matter. 
and he's given this very, very tough command. So the first thing you have to know is, uh, our first lesson is, what the commands of Hashem, even if they're inexplicable, are still the commands of Hashem. Shaul is going to have a very, very difficult time with this command. And I think that a lot of us can think about uh, sympathizing with Shaul. I mean, to go and be told to kill uh, children, animals, it, it's like, it's a hard one. It's a hard one. You know, if you, if you tell someone, they'll like, kill this baby, who could do such a thing? And unless you're a mullik, you're going to have a hard time with a command like that. On the other hand, what if someone was to say to you that that baby is going to grow into Hitler, Machimo? I still don't know if people would be able to shoot a baby, even if they know this baby is going to grow up to be evil. So there's a lot of things we don't know. Now we'll go on to Shaul's um, his hesitations. We'll get to that in a minute. But the first thing we have to understand is that this story is the backstory of Megillah Esther. And that's why it's the Torah for Parsha Zohar. In the Shabbos before Purim, when we read Parsha Zohar, what I just showed you in Kitetse, this is the Torah. Because if Shaul hadn't made these mistakes, we might have been spared the ordeal with Haman, who is a descendant of the king of Amalek. Okay, moving along. And I, I think that we have to sort of suspend for the duration of this story, our, you know, current, you know, politically correct ideas on this and just understand what the Navi is teaching us. Pasuk Dalek. Now, Baishama means there is like a, a number of ways that we see in the Tanakh that a person gathers an army. Baishaik is very common. Baishama, he, he had people hear this command and he counts them bitlaib. So we saw in, in chapter 11, before the war with Amon, he counted them at Bezek. So either Bezek and Tlaim are places. Or they're things. Bezek is shards of a rock and Slaim are lands. 200,000 soldiers. The Chazal comment that if they were counting with Shaul's uh, lambs, that he got rich. You know, counting with rocks is a lot cheaper than counting with lambs. And 10,000 of the men of Yehuda. Yehuda's always counted separately. So he gets together a very, very uh, large army. Now this phrase is very problematic because after Pasuke, we have Pasuke where he, he tells the Kedi to leave. We'll get to that in a minute. And the war of Amalek only happens in Pasuk Zayin. So really, really is he had a riv. He had an argument in the Nahal, in the Wadi. So it's a problematic thing. Like, what exactly does that mean, right? So Rashi says he fought there in the riverbed before the city. Now, I, I opened the Gemara to show you what this is, right? 
על עסקי נחל. בשעה שאמר לקדוש ברוך הוא שאול, לך והקיץ את המלך, אמר, ומה נפש אחת דמותה הווה עגלה ערופה? כל נפשות הללו הלכת כמה וכמה. So if we go to the story of um, the Egla Rufa, right? If you find a dead person, a person who's been murdered in the field, so the, the elders of the nearest cities have to come and measure whose city is closest to this corpse. And it will be that those elders have to take it calf, bring it to... the river nearby and kill the calf and say, right, they wash their hands over that calf and they say, our hands did not spill this blood and our eyes did not see. And Rashi points out, do we really think that they were the murderers, the elders of the city? No, but, but, right, we did not see him. We did not let it, we let him go without feeding him, without taking care of him. And we are, in a sense, responsible for his death. Atone for your people and, uh, you know, get rid of this innocent blood. Do we, you know, we, we don't want to be responsible for this tragedy. So the, wait, back to Yoma. The Gemara says, right, Shaul had ter- terrible um, thoughts about this situation. He's, I don't understand. Uh, if one person is murdered, we have this whole special ru- ritual, Eglar Rufa, I, I have to wipe out a whole nation? How do we do that? And then he goes on. And What do the animals do? Children? You want me to kill children? He had a very, very hard time here. And we find out later, okay, uh, later it turns out that he, in chapter 22, it's a, a good few chapters ahead, we find out that Shaul gets very angry at the Kohanim because he thinks they're helping David. And he, he wipes out the entire city of Nod, 85 Kohanim, And the language there, I didn't open that for you, but the language there is very similar. Everything that he didn't do with Amalek, he did with No, the city of the Kohanim. When he tells Doe, kill the Kohanim, don't be so evil. It's a very, very strange thing that's going on here. And there's a very, very important phrase that I want to show you. It comes, I had a hard time finding it in the text for you. So this is what I came up with. It is from the Medrash Yalkut Shimoni. And the expression is, Anyone who has pity on cruel people will end up being cruel to merciful people. Right? And so this is, uh, this is, From the Yalkut on our Pasuk, right, in, uh, in Shmuel. And we don't really, I'm sure you've all heard this phrase before, this discussion before, but basically the way to understand it is when you let the terrorist out, 
there's some innocent person who's going to get killed. When you have pity on the rapist and you let him go, there's going to be another girl victim, God forbid. This is the nature of the world. This is the nature of the world. So we see this exactly playing out in Shoal's lifetime. He can't bring himself. It's so hard for him to do what God's told him here to wipe out this whole nation. But later on, when he gets angry at the Cohen, and wipe them all out. Right? Here, he, he's merciful to the cruel, and later on, he's going to be cruel to the merciful. And that's a very, very sad result. But it's, it's, a, it's a thing that we, as, uh, you know, certainly here, living here in Israel, we see time and again when they give, you know, when they uh, let terrorists roam free, then they shoot people on the roads when they don't have the checkpoints and the the you know the Supreme Court says, oh no, let them move around. Then then they uh, they go and they commit the terrorist activities. And so all sorts of, you know, we could trace back many, many of you know terror attacks to you know leniencies. And it's true in America also so much crime, so many people are hurt because they're taking the criminals and not uh, dealing with the criminals properly. And look, look what happened in Tel Aviv last week with these riots, you know, we had mercy on these uh, refugees and they're turning around and destroying Tel Aviv. So it's a very, very important principle to remember. But only, if the only lesson we take from chapter 15 is you cannot be merciful to cruel people because you're gonna end up making innocent people suffer. That would be the most important lesson here. Pasik vav, bayamashol alakeni, luhusu dumi tochamaleki penosifhaimo. Shaul comes to the Kani. Now, who are the Kani? The Kani are descendants of Yisrael. Not to be confused with Kanani, which is spelled Hafnun Ayanun. The Kani is the nation that comes from Yisrael. And the descendants of Yisrael lived in Israel. And many times, because they're all, all kind of nomadic tribes, they live near the Amalek. And Kani were actually good guys, people that we uh, appreciate, that are good, right? Many of them converted. Go and get away from the Amalek key because I don't want to hurt you. You've done good things for the Jewish people, and I want to reward that. But Yasser Kani took Hamalek and Kani uh, very intelligently listened to that. Now, it's a very important thing that the Torah does here. It sets up a contrast for us between, I remember what Amalek did when you left Mitzrayim, to I remember what the Kani did when you left Mitzrayim. There is a tremendous contrast between Yisro and Amalek. Yisro is a Baal Chesed. Yisro made a Kiddush Hashem. Yisro helped the Jewish people. He gave Moshe his wife. He supported him. He he rejoiced with the Jewish people in their in their good times, and he helped Moshe with his uh, consultation on how to run the government. You know to make you know more judges. Yisra was a very big you know helper, and the Amalek came and they attacked. No reason other than wanton cruelty and hatred of the other, and if we have. Uh, a command. The command is in this week's parsha. It's in in the Sefer Devarim. It's in Sefer Devarim eight times. You have to go in God's ways. Now, I have to always tell my students, going in God's ways is only in God's ways of mercy. 
we cannot set ourselves up as Midasa did. But we can look at what happens here with the Kani and we can say, oh, yes, we have to be grateful when people do something for us and we have to pay them back for that. We have to remember to be grateful. And it, re it reminds me of um, a story that happened to uh, my husband's grandfather, Rabiako Kavanetsky. So he, when he came to Seattle originally, he took a sabbatical in the shul of uh, Rabbi Wolgelernt. It was 1937. And Rabbi Wolgelernt set him up, found him a job as a rabbi in Toronto. And because he got the job as a rabbi in Toronto, the entire family was saved. In 1937, he brought his wife and six children over from Lita, from Lithuania, and they were saved. And Rabbi uh, Rav Yaakov's gratitude to the Wolgelernter family was generational. I mean, you know, my husband always was told, if you ever meet anyone who's a descendant of Wolgelernter, it's not such a common name, and we know Wolgelernter, anything they want, you do for them. They saved all our lives. That gratitude is generational. And that's what happens here. It's a very important lesson. Plus, anxiety. Now happens the war. And usually in the Tanakh, we have the buildup and the aftermath of the war. It takes a lot more time than the war itself. I do have a map for you. So here's a Malik below Beersheba in the Sinai Peninsula here. Right here, they, the, this is a map, of course. They think Havila is here, but Shur is here. So this was a tremendous battle, and they fought them all this way. Now we have to talk about Amalek a little more, but meantime, we'll get through the sukkah and we'll get to that. So he does manage to kill all the people, and he doesn't kill the king. He captures him alive. Alagag, who is the king? the good sheep, the good cattle, the fatty one, the karim, the yielding, all this great stuff. How can you destroy perfectly good animals? What are you doing? Below Abu Hakimam, they couldn't bear to destroy them. But the stuff that was despicable, right? Icky stuff, nasty animals and, and, and you know, ruined ones that they destroyed. And here we have, we have to figure out like, what's the worst part of his sin? Is the worst part of the sin leaving a gag alive, taking the animals? We have to kind of try to analyze that. Think about this. You now are going according to your judgment. Kaddish Baruch who gave you a command and you're doing what you think. So let's talk about the king for a second. Why would you keep the king alive? So um, the Abarmanel theorizes that the king was actually a really good looking guy. And now he couldn't bear to kill this good looking guy, which is interesting to me, right? But the truth is, that if you look through the Tanakh, you'll find that there's some sort of courtesy of kings. I think the Das Mikra talks about it, where the king gets a special sort of um, 
dispensation, they don't kill the king. And you find this with Yoshua. Yoshua kings the, uh, kills the kings separately. He does kill them eventually. And it's a whole thing. It, we see this in other places in, in the Tanakh. They capture Adoni Bezek and Bezek at the beginning of Shoftim. So what is that all about? It seems that there was some sort of a courtesy king thing. You know, you keep my king alive, I'll keep your king alive. You also have to remember that in Canaan, in the land of Canaan and all around it, there were lots of kings. It wasn't like, you know, you were king of England, right? King of a whole, yeah, every town had a king. It was like the mayor, right? Every so it's interesting because we see a lot of Amalek coming up later. Amalek is not gone after this chapter. There's in, at the end of Shmuel Aleph, we find that there's a whole band of Amalek that attacks David's place in Siklag. It's like strange. Is that a different tribe, a different band? Like it's like you know, and have to understand like why why would why was he told to kill the animals? So that's actually a whole you know different discussion. What's the deal with the animals? Rashi says straight up. He says those weren't animals; they were people. The Amalek were sorcerers, and all those animals were actually people. And because they didn't kill them, they ran away, which is very interesting. Radak says you can't wipe out the memory, the name of Amalek, which is by the way why we make noise during the Megillah, right? At the sound of Hamas, you wipe out his his name. If you say, oh, I got this great sheep from Amalek, you haven't wiped out the name. It's an interesting Radak. But the Abarbanal goes on a whole different conceptual thought. He says, when you fight a war, if you take plunder or loot, what does that say about the purpose of your war? And it's something to really think about. Because the minute you take something, the minute you have material gain from this war, oh, it's a war for profit. No, this is a war for revenge. This is a war to get rid of evil. This is a war against people who are, God, God decides they should not be in this world. But the minute you take the plunder, it's like, oh, yeah, okay, I got it. I see you wanted the money. That's It's all about the money, right? And the problem is that you cannot undo that. You can't say, well, that also is later. I, we wanted it for carbon. No, no. You were told no plunder. Now, it's interesting that back in, in Yeshua, for those of you who are with me, if you remember, when Ahan takes from the spoils of Yericho, it's a very great sin. Yericho is supposed to be Chirim. It's we conquered Yericho because Hashem told us to, because we're entering the land, not because we wanted that beautiful Babylonian coat that Ahan took. But he took the concept and he messed it all up. It's all about the money. Gehazi does the same thing with Naaman later on, right? You know, in the time of Elisha, the beginning of, of uh, Malachim Bet, right? So Elisha says, Naaman, I helped you. I'm not going to take any money. And Gehazi says, yeah, yeah, where's the money? Taking away from the Kiddush Hashem here. And I want you to think about this when we get to the Megillah of Esther, right? They fight against the... Uh, the enemies of the Jews, and it says again and again, they didn't touch the plunder. We don't want to, we want, don't want people to think we had this battle so we could make money. 
No, that's a tikkun. The story of Esther and Mordechai and Haman, that story is a tikkun for what happens here. Okay, so they they take all this stuff. The boom has been lowered. Hashem says he's done. He's history. I regret. Now, that's a very, very tough word in context with God. So we're just going to take it as the Barbanel takes it. This is how we can understand it. God doesn't really regret what he does. I I don't want Shoal anymore. It's basically Shoal is done. He can't be king anymore because he he went uh he returned from going after me. He did not fulfill my word. It's really tragic. Shoal is such a tragic figure. Vayichar Shmuel Shmuel. Now Vayichar without the Charon with the Af with the Af is anger. Charon by itself is. Grief, disappointment, a powerful misery. Shmuel is devastated. It's so interesting. Shmuel's sons have been a disappointment to him. They didn't go in his ways. And Shoal is his, you know, Shoal is to Shmuel, which Shmuel was to Ailey. His surrogate son, his protege. He had such high hopes for him. And he by his Hashem he davens and cries to God all night long. He's absolutely ter- ter- terribly upset. He's just it's so so sad for him. But Shmuel, unlike Shaul, listens to God even if he doesn't like the command. And this is a very strong lesson that we have to learn. Shaul is pitting his own intelligence and his own emotions against what God tells him to do. And that's always a mistake because we always think we know better, right? If you look at the story of Yonah, it's a very similar thing. Yonah thinks he knows better than God. And God says to him, you know, Yonah, you could be very, very, you know, lofty in your thoughts. And you could be very, very um, uh, philosophically, you know, true, and you, you have all these great ideas, you know, but if, let me put you in some physical misery and then let's see what you're going to do with that. You're a physical human being. You can only understand what you can understand. You can't understand what God wants. And by the way, in Yonah, I always find this as a very interesting contrast. At the end of Yonah, right, Hashem says to Yonah, weren't you worried about the animals? So many people who were afraid, like, right? 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 I shouldn't have pity on Ninve, that great city that has so many people sharing the terribly famous Ray Reba and Ashin. It's the most unbelievable, strange ending to any peregrine movie. And a lot of animals? Like Yoda, you aren't thinking about the animals. And here you see Schultz thinking about the animals. And they're both wrong. I'm sorry. You'd bet. Shmuel gets up early. Doesn't matter that he's miserable. It doesn't matter that he's having a hard time with his command. He gets up early and he goes to greet Shaul in the morning. Now, Carmel that's here is not the Carmel of Haifa. This is the Carmel in the south of Yehuda. 
The same Carmel that we find out about uh, Naval, a Carmeli is Yehuda in chapter 25. And this to me is a very, very sad thing. It's Shmuel is coming to lower the boom, to give him the bad news. And Shmuel's like, hey, Shmuel, look what I did. I did what Hashem wanted. It's unbelievable. Like, there's only two ways of understanding. Either he's completely clueless and he doesn't realize how badly he's messed up, which is possible. Or he just wants to, you know, to tell Shmuel, I really, really did what you wanted. In other words, he's, he's forestalling the rebuke. Notice we always say ma. Me, me kolatzon. It it has in that sound the noise of that sheep. What is all the noise again? Kol atzon ba'aznai bekol habakar shanochi shomea. Again, listening and hearing and voices. What's the sound of all those animals? Me kolatzon. It's interesting in in Perak Aleph. When Elkanah talks to Hannah, he says, la me, softens it. And here Shmuel uses it as a, ah, here's something. I brought them from Amalek. They brought them. He actually says, they brought them. The people had pity on the best of the sheep and the cattle. Only for sacrifices for Hashem, your God. We destroyed everything else. Now, it seems that Shoal genuinely feels that he did. It seems to me he really, really is cool. He really feels he did the right thing. But here you have, what do you mean? It's not my fault. Not my fault. The people, the people wanted that. And he only did it for your God because it's going to have a sacrifice. So he's, you know, pointing fingers in different directions. And I'm me, I'm me, I'm whatever. The animals, right? Okay. Silence. Shmuel is really, you know, he he knows that this is going to be a rough one for Shaul. And he wants, he's a little bit afraid of his reaction. So he's like, wait, can I tell you what God had to t- say to me last night? I need to tell you what God said last night. And he said, okay, I'm listening. Right? Right? You might be small in your own eyes. You're the king. There's no Nagir here, and there's no princes in there. You're a king. Show. You're small in your own eyes, but you're the king. What does it mean that you're small in your own eyes? It means you don't understand your role. Right? 
God sent you on a path. You had a mission. Destroy the sinners. It wasn't an idle exercise. <coughs> These people are sinners. They're evil. Destroy them. Get rid of them. Eradicate the evil. That was your task. It was a godly mission. You didn't listen to the voice of God. And the worst part about it is you swooped that Latat is, if you remember in Gracious by the Brit Ben Abtarim, the word there is Bayevit Ha'ayat. Ayat is a bird of prey, a vulture. And to say Bata'at is like swoop down like a bird of you swooped on the plunder as you do bad in the eyes of God and if you recall in chapter 14 it says after this really terrible fast that Shoal decreed in the war at they swooped on the plunder and they ate on the blood they sinned because they were so famished they swooped on Shoal so Shmuel is now Countering Shoal's argument. Shoal's argument, look at this, he says, right? The people had pity on the flocks and the cattle to make sacrifices. We got rid of the rest. And Shmuel says, wait a minute, what's this about the people? Who are you in this picture? You're so small, you don't understand that you're the king? You're the king. You're the leader. You tell them what to do. You did it. He did it in, in many places. It's not like Shaul doesn't have the capacity to lead in the story of the, the fight with Amon, chapter 11. You know, tell them to, you know, they'll have, they'll have a, a victory in the morning and let's gather and then we fight. He's, he can be very decisive when he wants. And then you have, you know, in chapter 14, we're gonna have a fast. We're not gonna have a fast. We're gonna don't don't sit on the show. Knows how to take action, and here he's like a neb. What do you mean? The people really wanted the animals, so we took them. What do you mean the people told you? Now it's interesting because, you know, we try to figure out like what's what's the sin here because the verdict is very very harsh. But if you think about this this. Um, there's a very famous Gemara, you know, that talks about the, the time of Mashiach, right? The things, the crazy things that will happen, that the young will be respected and the old will not be respected, and, you know, and things will be plentiful but expensive. Things say, you know, there's being a lot of chutzpah. One of the things it says there, Pnei HaDork and Pnei HaKelech, the face of the generation is like the face of a dog. And the Chazal explained that to mean if you see a man walking a dog, right? The dog looks like it's leading, but he's really on a leash. And he has to keep turning around to see what the master wants. That's an expression for the people, the ignorant are leading and not the leaders. And I think, um, you know, we're not dealing here with a democracy. We're dealing here with a Jewish monarchy, Jewish kingship and the king is supposed to keep the people from sinning. He's supposed to fulfill the words of God. The idea is he should always remember 
never go to the right, never go to the left, and always remember that he's an agent of God. And he has to listen to the Navi, and he has to listen to Hashem. That's his command. But he allows the people to drag him around. Now, Shaul is still in denial. But I listened to the voice of God. What do you mean? Look at all these people I killed. And he's here. What do you mean? What do you mean? They took the best stuff, but it's only for a sacrifice. We had a whole plan to take all these beautiful, good, fat animals and sacrifice them to God. Right? He's. This is his second round of, I'm sorry, this is actually his third round. The first round is when he says, I kept the word of God. And Shmuel says, what's the noise of these sheep? That's round one. Round two is when um, he says, well, the people had pity. The people had pity because they want to sacrifice to God. And Shmuel says, uh, God says, no, no, no. You might be small in your own eyes, but you're supposed to be leading the people, not, you know, having them tell you what to do. Right. You did listen. You did evil. And he's, but this is his third time saying, no, no, I did, I did, I listened to the voice of God, I listened. And I got this here, we can just kill him anytime we want. We just have some animals for sacrifice. I did. It's so hard for Shaul to grasp the magnitude of his sin because in his mind, he did. He really a few little, you know, uh, you know, mischances, a little bit of a, you know, and here we have another important <clears throat> lesson, you know. You're supposed to lead. A leader has to lead. And the, the commands of God are not for you to interpret and say, well, you know, I like this command of God. I'll listen to that one. I get this one. I don't get that one. It's a very big problem because people like to be in control. People like to have their own uh, opinions. People like to do things their way. And Hashem is saying, no, no, this is the way you do it. And even if you don't get it, this is how it is. This is what Hashem wants. Hashem understands and we don't understand. But we set ourselves up as if we do. And poor Shaul, he's like, I, I did, I did. And Shmuel says to him, God wants sacrifices? Again, listen to the voice, listen to the voice. God wants you to listen to him. He's not interested in carbonate. Listening to God is better than the fat of rams, if you think about it. Right? What does it mean? Right? What's the point of having a carbon? The point of having a carbon is to atone for a sin. Don't sin and don't atone. Pasikhov Gimel. Ki chatat kesem meri ba'avinu trofim hapsar. This is a poetic phrase, meaning the sin of Mary, Mary is merit, rebellion, is like the sin of kesem. Now, kesem means magic, divination. In modern Hebrew, kesem is charm. And so when you say that someone is maksim or maksima, it means they're charming. It's like, rebellion is like the sin of divination. 
It's like you are saying, I want my results. I don't care what God wants. The oven trafim haftsar. Now haftsar, the haftsir is to beg and insist and persist and persist. And we're talking about uh, evil sins and idolatry. So insisting and saying, show, stop fighting with me. Every time you insist, you're sinning again. And now the sin is worse than the original sin because now it's like idolatry. You're setting yourself up as the authority. What do you mean? You have rejected. You have treated God's word with contempt. And he has rejected you from the kingship. And that is really the bottom line. And this last rebuke is the what we call a makabapati, Shmuel says, he finally admits his sin, but it's too late. I didn't listen to God's word, I listened to your word. I was afraid of the people. I listened to their voice. And this is just so sad. He finally admits it. He says, whose voice did I listen to? Not Shmuel, not God. The people, the Kelev, the Panea Dor. And Rashi has a comment here that we have to talk about in future Prakim. Doeg Edomi, In other words, Doeg, which we'll meet later on, is Shoal's evil genius. Chazal, he, he's mentioned later in the text, but this is a Rashi, right, that He's he's always telling Shaul, giving Shaul bad advice, but here Shaul he's just yeah I, I, he he admits it, forgive me, forgive me. And Chafhei now Shaul is completely devastated because he's just been told you're not king anymore. In chapter thirteen, Shmuel told him your children won't be kings, and now he's told you are no longer king. God is he's done with you, but he says listen. Just, just don't embarrass me now. Forgive me and come back with me and, and let's have our, our ceremonies and our prayers together. Shmuel is, 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 he's miserable himself. He doesn't like giving over this news. He said, I'm not going back with you. You're done. God rejected you, rejected God, and God rejected you. I'm not going with you. And Shmuel turns to go, and he grabs the edge of his cloak and it rips. So there's opinions that, like, the actually Shmuel ripped Shoal's cloak. Pashtas, to me, it seems that, that as Shmuel is leaving, Shoal is grabbing him. Shoal is desperate. He just... It's too much for him. Shaul cannot handle the embarrassment of this if it's going to be a public. No one knows what Shmuel said to Shaul, and no one knows that he's, you know, been rejected. So if Shmuel leaves, he comes and goes. So that's a very public uh, statement. So his cloak rips. That's a kafchet. love Shmuel. God has torn the kingship of Israel from upon you today, and he has given it to your friend who is better than you. Remember, at the beginning, we said 
Bachur Batob Ein Ish Israel Menu. In chapter nine, Shaul was the best in the land. And now you've lost that title. God is giving the kingship to the one who's better than you. Very famous passage. Not an easy one. We're running out of time. Netzach Israel is an expression for God, the eternity of Israel. He doesn't lie. He doesn't change his mind. He's not a person to do that, which is strange because we said nichamti. But what we see, what we understand, the Bible says, we understand that if God changes his mind, but it's not that God changes his mind. God now has given the kingship away. We know it's to David. Shaul doesn't know that. And God is not changing his mind. It's a done deal. And the, uh, <clears throat> the torn cloak is a special sign. Right? The Ramban says a physical sign of a prophecy is irrevocable, cannot be changed. And Shaul is just, he just doesn't even know what to do anymore. By Yom HaTatsi. I recognize that I sinned, but please give me this kavod uh, in front of the elders and the people. Come with me and let's do our tefillot and our, 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 you know, our ceremonies. And Shmuel agrees at this point. Shmuel doesn't want to embarrass Shaul. They go back and they bow down, and then Shmuel says, "Let's get rid of our God." Another cryptic pasuk. What does that mean? Shmuel says, "Bring Agag here, the king of Amalek." And Agag goes, "Madan is like today. It's like a pudding. It's a delicacy." He comes like delicately. So there's a number of explanations for this. He can't walk, he's got chain. Whatever it is, it's very interesting. Like he makes himself, you know, and he's an even very, very evil person. You know, it's interesting because my husband, when he, he did the guard duty at the Russian compound back in the day, and he said, you know, the, the Palestinian terrorists would make themselves like, you know, Oh man, I'm just a harmless, I'm a good guy. What do you mean? Push themselves like that. The expression, achain, for sure, the bitterness of death has turned, is exactly interpreted opposite ways by Rashi and Ralbag. Rashi says, I know that the bitterness of death is coming to me. And Ralbag says, looking at Shmuel, uh, bitterness of death has turned away from me. I cannot believe that such a holy person could kill me. But Shmuel makes a speech. And this is actually interesting because in other places we see when they have that person who is who is that king who's been saved, you can't just go over and kill him, right? You have to first say, you are being executed. You're, it's, this is an execution. It's not a murder because of what you did. And the expression Shmuel says, Lamed Gimel, just as your sword bereaved women, so will your mother be bereaved. Which actually is a poetic expression. In other words, you killed a lot of people, and you're also gonna, you know, your relatives will be, but his relatives have all been wiped out. So it's a strange expression altogether. But it's a poetic way of saying you're getting what you deserve because look how many people you bereaved. And in fact, the 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 drash by Zanebha is that he castrated Jewish men. Right, that he castrated them. The zanav is a tail, right? And 
So you made their wives living widows. And it's interesting because that happened a long time ago in the time of the Exodus. And here, it seems as if this king is being convicted for his own crimes, which continue the evil traditions of Agag. The word Vayishasef does not appear, I don't think, in any other place. Um, he cut him, you know, we've heard the expression drawn and quartered. He cut him into four pieces. And of Agag. Of course, according to Hazal, Agag somehow managed to father a child before he gets killed. And that is how Haman came from this situation. But that's, you know, a medrash that's kind of, you know, go with it, whichever. And here becomes sort of a very, very sad ending to this. Shmuel goes to Rama. Shaul goes to Givat Shaul. Shmuel never went to see Shaul again until the day of his death because he was mourning for Shaul because Hashem had changed, you know, had turned away from him and um, regretted making him king. It's a very, very tragic kind of ending to the story. Because you see that Shmuel was so invested, he was so sad, he couldn't even see him again. It says until the day of his death, we'll see in chapter 28 that he actually sees him after his death, which is a very weird story, but not for now. In any event, the whole discussion here, okay, we have to remember, the whole discussion is showing us that you, if you have mercy on the cruel, you'll end up by having uh, being cruel to the merciful. And that he didn't listen to the voice of God. He used his own judgment. He listened to the people's judgment. And this was his grave sin. And so the Chazali asked, is that for really? Really? If David, didn't David do worse? How come Shaul loses the kingship? David sins and doesn't lose the kingship. And the way this is understood by most people, by most commentators, is that Shaul's sins were sins of his function. There were sins in his kingship. His kingship was flawed. And he sinned in, you know, in, in the role. He did not live up to his role. He didn't lead. He didn't keep the people from sinning. And the sins of David were personal sins. So that's, that's how that's understood. David was greatly punished for his sins. He didn't lose the kingship. Because as a king, he was able to make that balance. So that's really... Uh, a sad story. And just to comment, what happens at this point in the Tanakh is that the next chapter we begin the story of David. It's like Shoal is going to be a part of that story because Shoal refuses to like abdicate. But really, chapter 14, the end of chapter 14, we spend very little time on it because such a long chapter, was kind of the general way that we end the story of a king. And he was ruled for so-and-so, right? And his wife was, and his kids were, and blah, blah, blah. and he did this and he did that. We summed up his life at the end of chapter 14 because the story of Amalek is not really the end of his life. It's a continuation of his life, but his role as king is kind of over. So now we're moving on to the story of David. And um, 
I'm gonna stop the screen share here. Okay. So um, anyone have questions? <laughs> I just have one question. Yeah. I mean, I understand that um, Shmuel was like mourning the whole like show thing of like investing in him being a king and all, but like, isn't it harsh to like not like he's so uh, that he can like if Hashem is not it's it's like seems very harsh. I don't know. At which part are you talking about that he doesn't want to go back and and he doesn't see Shaul. They says he doesn't see Shaul until he dies. Like after this. First of all, according to the chronology of the Chazal, this whole you know situation is is toward the end of Shaul's rule and end of his life because they only give him two years to be leader. Although mm. the Rabbah have a different chronology, they they count it differently. But um, so it should just be a time thing. But I think the Tanakh is giving us a message there and saying it. it it wasn't that Shaul was being hard on Shmuel. It's that Shmuel himself was suffering. It was painful for him. It says he didn't see him because he was mourning. Sometimes, you know, you know, when you had this situation, he's so deeply disappointed and he had so much investment. And it's interesting because, you know, we'll see that Shmuel's interactions with David have a whole different level. It's like Shmuel adopted Shaul he talked to him, he, he, you know, advised him, he sat with him. And with David, it's just like, okay, you're anointed, bye. He didn't, it seems like, Shmuel is also a person. I did it once. I put all my love and affection and, and caring into Shaul. I don't have any more co-op left. My son's disappointed me. My surrogate son disappointed me. I have no co-op left. That's how it appears to me. It seems to me mm -hmm. that. Makes sense. But it's not it's not like he doesn't he doesn't want to help Shoal. He doesn't want to be with him. He just he can't deal with it. It's just too hard for him. In fact, in the beginning of chapter 16, Bizrat Hashem will do it next week. You see that he doesn't want to go to anoint David. He's trying to get out of it. Mm -hmm. But Shmuel, unlike Shaul, and that's one of the contrasts, we keep seeing the contrast. Shmuel doesn't like God's command, he does it anyway. You know, you have you have Nabiim who refuse God's command. You have that's a problem. Shoals, I don't like the Samoic thing. I I don't think I'm gonna do that. But Shmuel, you know, I don't I don't want to anoint David, but I'll go anyway. All right. There is a theme here of disappointment in children, which is gonna be going on through the Tanakh, you see. Ailey's disappointed in his children, Shmuel's disappointed in his children. We saw in chapter 14 a tremendous conflict between Shoal and Yonatan, and that's going to continue. Yonatan's going to be on David's side. So there's like this an interesting thing going on there with the fathers and the sons. And David also has tremendous, tremendous problems with his sons. So there, there, there are certain themes that went through the Tanakh. You see them in other stories. Not so simple. Anyway, if that's helpful. Thank so you helps to understand it. That's how I understand it anyway. My own Thanks, Mom. Great. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you so much. Next week we'll start Dublin. Well, nice to have a little bit on Yom Kippur too.
a little bit of Yom Kippur? Chatasi. Some Yonah. Some Yonah. I keep thinking about those animals, but hey, Maraba, like, how come Yonah? How come you don't pity on the animals? And Shoal's like, according to the Gemara, Shoal's like, what do the animals do? Why don't you have to kill the animals? And Rashi comes up with this, like, this crazy medrash that they're like sorcerers. <laughs> the animals are really people. But of course, we had, I didn't even talk about the other idea besides the, the medrash is that the animals were corrupt because their, their owners were corrupt. We didn't even talk about that. Right. That's in there somewhere, too. But okay. um, it's a tough story. It's a tough story. All right. But it was like the animals in Egypt, weren't they also, uh, they were worshipped a certain way. So during the Makos and Dever, a lot of them died because, you know, it was... Uh, they were part of the corruption. Yeah. It's like the model. That's what it says. It seems like that. Otherwise, why... I don't know. The Radak also has a case. The Radak says, because we don't want to be talking about Amalek animals. Oh, I got a great cow from Amalek. We, we don't want to talk about Amalek. Good night, Debs. You know? Yeah. You know, there are some things about this story that are so hard. It's a hard story. And I sometimes try to get into Shoal's head, and I'm like, poor Shoal. It's a heck of a command. Why yeah. do you have all of them? Children, animals, do that. Get rid of all. I mean, like, Very oh. hard. And if you look at the Torah's commands on war, like there's this whole thing about war. You know, you, you have to call for peace before, and you can't destroy the fruit trees. You can't get into that, you know, and you and you have to you know, have compassion for the people. You're not supposed to be, you know, destroying everything, and you can't go as um if I'm not mistaken, that's the, that's the language of it. Stay away from everything bad. There's tremendous yetzaharas for soldiers. Stay away from the bad stuff. Don't forget, you know, who you are. Right. So, Shul doesn't want to be that kind of, you know, it's a hard one. Yeah. Referring to the animals, you also have Bilam's donkey. Bilam's donkey? Wait, when he, the donkey, and he's talking with him, and have I ever deceived you before? The whole interaction right. with his donkey. Right, but but there, the donkey gets killed. Right, right so that's, a, that's, I mean, they were together, so it's just the corrupt animals, kind of, a, they were corrupt with the people. Right. That's definitely a nasty situation with Bill and Stunky. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Mom. The people who corrupt the animals, the animals wouldn't do it by themselves. The people with the problems. All right, ladies. Have a good night. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Rebbe and Sharon. Good night. 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 Good night.